So it's been a little while since we've had a pod and it's observation season. It is. So I think today we talk about how a teacher can ace their observations and all the little tips and tricks that, you know, we know of being mm -hmm. coaches and being mentor teachers that we look for. Yeah. All right. So morning duty. I don't even know what episode we're on. Good morning. Yeah. I think it's like <laughs> episode 29 or 30. I know we're approaching 30 if it's not 30. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. End of January. This will come out February. And for observations, we know that they're kind of stressful. They are. They can be kind of scary, especially if you don't like have the culture of having people in your room a lot. And then suddenly someone comes in who doesn't know your room. They don't know, you know, your routines or your kids all that well. And yeah, it can feel kind of funky. In my first school, and I bet this is like it in a lot of schools, you got one observation a year. Yep. It's same. way different, I think, if it's if your coach is in every week. Because we've been in schools with, you know, they totally. were in every week and it's different. Yeah. They got the camera out even. Yeah. But when it's just your one off and everything goes to that, it puts the pressure on. Yeah. Those those filmed observations were something else. The first time you watch it, it's terrible. You hate seeing yourself teach. Oh, awful. I, I had no idea I looked like that when I taught. I had the most horrific posture. <laughs> I felt like I was just like schlumping around the room. Yeah, I looked like such a goober. I yeah. had one of those... Like from the West Wing, those Toby balls, those pink balls that you bounce around. Yeah, yeah. And I was just playing with it while the kids were working. I wasn't looking at anything. <laughs> You're distracting the kids, actually, while they're trying to work. <laughs> yeah, they're all working hard, and I'm, I'm messing up the whole flow of the class. <laughs> but we know a few tips and tricks now to make, you know, to ace your observation. Yeah, we've learned a lot over the years. And I think one thing I want to talk about is a couple things that are just window dressing that mm. maybe help, but the real thing that you're looking for in the classroom is how do the kids feel? It, it's so, I feel like observations are actually very holistic, even when there's a rubric and different rows and different criteria to be, you know, checked off or whatever. I still think it comes down to how does the room feel? You know, does it feel controlled? Does it feel calm? Um, I don't think any coach is expecting 100% perfect behavior. Right. Like they know kids. It's more so about how you handle it and how it feels to everybody else. And it does come down to what's on your rubric. Because I remember having those three or four point rubrics where mm -hmm. four was perfect, but nobody would ever get a four. They would say the best you can get is a three because, you know, four is a perfect and no one's a perfect teacher yet. Yeah. I don't even know why they have the four. I was coached on that when I was a coach of well, like not giving the highest score ever or yeah. like in the beginning of the year they just tell you straight up don't give the highest they're score. like there's no one that is this score and that bothered me so much and i kind of pushed back on it a little bit and the conversation was well then they'll they'll feel that they have nothing to strive towards and four is always like exceeding expectations yeah so you if you tell someone you will no one ever exceeds everyone just either is expectations that mm -hmm. sucks i know so it's like you know, part of it maybe is just having that mindset and understanding that I think pieces of it are, um, I don't know, they're just kind of pre-planned. Their people are coached on how to do these observations. But even with that aside, I kind of interrupted you. You were starting to talk about the window dressings because there are things that we can do. Yeah, you made me think about, you know, I think it was my first or my second year teaching mm -hmm. when there was all the stress on your observation because your coach came in. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to my kids about it, like, guys, I'm being observed and we're going to talk about this and maybe we'll do a little bit of practice beforehand so you've got some background knowledge. Totally. And I remember the coach asking the kids, have you practiced this? Have you learned this before? They can tell. <gasps> they know. And wow. my kids, they stood up for me. They were like, 
A little bit, but no, we haven't really gotten into it. <laughs> That's awesome. Because they know why you're being observed, or at least hopefully they know. Maybe at the lowest grades they don't. And maybe, I don't know, I still think even if you don't know or understand the system, you can feel it. Like we're all just humans at the end of the day, and you can tell like, oh, someone's watching someone else, yeah, you know? Yeah, someone's watching my teacher. I like my teacher. I want to try and be good today. Right. All right. So yeah, the things that are window dressing. Yeah, what were you thinking? Well- I was thinking you have to have the foundational things like you have to have the objective on the board and you have to have the agenda. Yes. But not everybody puts the objective and the agenda on the board, you know, or at least not on the whiteboard. They might have it on a screen or a mm -hmm. projector. But the the performative aspects that you do when you have the observation. Yeah. That's not as important, I think, as the teacher might think it is. Like if you don't have the objective on the board the whole time and I'm a coach, mm -hmm. I am looking for it. But if at least you stated it in your presentation and the kids know what they're doing, that's not going to count against you as much as if the kids are passive the entire time and they're not working. Totally. Like it's so much more about the culture and and, and again, like how, how it feels. And I think too, a huge piece is I think coaches can tell when something is being performative, like you're saying, like you can't bust out this brand new, like really tricky, complicated cooperative learning strategy that you've never done before and expect it to go well or or make it look like you do this all the time. You know, like they're going to know. Yeah. The kids are going to be looking around like, this is different today. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this is like. This is actually fun today. We should do this all <laughs> the time. We should do this all the time. <laughs> we do do this all the time. <laughs> right. If it's your observation, Teach the same kind of lesson that you normally do, mm -hmm. but just try and make sure the different pieces of it are a bit more polished. Yeah. Your transitions are more polished. Your directions are more polished. But yep. yeah, if you're trying to do whole brain teaching for the first time yeah. or this big Kagan strategy where, you know, there's a think, pair, share, you know, every five minutes or there's a big numbered heads activity yep. and the kids don't know the directions they haven't <laughs> done it before, the coach is going to know that you're putting on a performance for your observation. Yeah. I think it's better to stick with the foundations and do... I think we we fall into, and I'm guilty of this too, we fall into a trap of wanting it to look sparkly. You know, like we want to do like a cool, fancy, new, exciting show for our observation. And it's really just trying to find good teaching. You could have a really simple five-step lesson plan, but if all your kids are engaged and board equals paper and directions are clear and you're calling on tons of kids and using wait time. You know, all of all the foundations are there. That's way better than something looking all fancy schmancy that has no depth to it. Right. I want to see that you have the basic teaching skills down yep. and that you're an expert in a couple of things. Like when you're giving directions or when you're talking, are the other kids talking mm -hmm. or are they actively listening? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're kids. They might start whispering. Do you address it? Do you let it go? Right. Do you get a little bit louder when they're getting louder? Yep. That's kind of the first strike that... I guess I knock down teachers for is mm -hmm. anytime they're speaking, what's the ratio? Like, do they have a hundred percent listeners? Yeah. Um, if they have a couple of kids whispering, do they address it? Like, does it seem like they can see the whole board? They can see yeah. the whole classroom. I think to get like a, a meets or what, whatever score you're using, a two like out of four or satisfactory, a three, yeah, yeah, whatever you must have your foundations down. Like you cannot speak while other, while, while children are speaking um, you need to check for understanding, you know, like if you have those foundations down, that's, that's going to really move the bar up. You can't get bad scores if your foundations are solid. 
I like that. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. You could have a flashy lesson, but if you aren't doing the basic things well, yep. like we keep talking about this, the kids can't talk while you're talking no. or else they're missing everything. Yep. They're missing the directions. They're missing the key point. They don't know what page they're on. Mm -hmm. And a coach will notice that immediately. Yeah. One and kid's talking while you're talking and you can't not see it. No, you can't not see it because you're also in the back of the room usually and mm -hmm. you're looking for that. And right. You notice it and you think, you know. Being a coach is a point of privilege where you're out of the classroom anymore. Right. And you think like, oh, well, I would have addressed that. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that the teacher has that too. Yep. And that they're doing it in you know, a kind, warm, demanding way. They're not snapping their fingers and they're not making the person feel bad. Yeah. But, you know, maybe it's an anonymous redirect or some type of least invasive. Right. If I see a couple of those and the class isn't improving, I'm still giving credit to the teacher for yes. that. Because maybe a kid is just having an off day and then they need to go use, you know, proximity and then a check-in mm -hmm. and they don't have the moment to do it right then until they get the directions done but then they do it mm -hmm. that's going to give them a lot of points i agree i feel like well yeah warm demander is always like the gold standard right if you are thinking of your management style in the room that's i don't know i'm biased but i, I feel like that's what we should be striving for but yeah i really don't think and in my coaching experience i certainly never thought this i don't think that coaches are looking for perfect behavior they're looking for Obviously, you know, controlled behavior, they don't want chaos, but it's more so are you attempting to tackle this or are you permissive? You know, because we, even the, the best teachers, if a kid's having a really bad day, it, they're going to need time, Yeah. you know? And so, yeah, it's not really perfection that they're looking for. It's just an attempt at tackling the teacher radar to notice it and then an attempt at tackling these issues. Because these observations usually happen in spring, the mm -hmm. former ones, the kids are much more comfortable in the class and much more comfortable <laughs> with you too. Yes. So they will push the boundaries a little bit more than if you're being observed, you know, in the first two or three weeks of school and your routines and your procedures are just a bit stronger. The expectations are better. Kids are slightly better at listening. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, they've just come back from winter break and they've got all these four-day weekends. Oh, and they're yeah. looking forward to, you know, the, the game after school or whatever it is, mm -hmm. but they're so much more comfortable that they're okay. I mean, they'll push the boundaries a little bit more, even with someone observing you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they, they will. Yeah. And you, you can try to bribe them. I've been there. I understand, but it's really, it's much more about just like, are you trying, you right. know? Are you trying? Yeah. And, Cause then that's a coachable thing. Right. During the observation, I'm looking for things that I can help somebody with, what their blind spots are. A lot mm -hmm. of times they know what they need to work on. Mm -hmm. Do they have a growth mindset about it? Now they're working on it. Yep. If they say, you know, I'm trying to get 100% of my listeners and I have almost everybody, I have 20 out of 24. Yeah. I'll ask you, what are you doing to get the other two? Right. And then I'll see that this person's coachable and it's going to help them earn a higher score because, I mean, they're receptive to the feedback and, right. and we're aligned. Yep. I think another thing to help you just do better on your observation is really, are you consistently holding high expectations? Is it a habit? And not just behavioral, but academic, right? Like coaches are really looking for growth and learning in, in their observations. And so little things, are you rounding up? Are you pushing academic vocabulary? Are they writing I remember getting feedback on that. I felt like it was a really good lesson and I had designed it for engagement and ratio, but it was mostly speaking. And I got this critical feedback. I got some praise too, but critical feedback around the lack of writing. And I was like, 
ah, you know, I thought I had this awesome lesson, but I was missing a foundation, you know? What did the coach want to see with the riding? Just the fact that they had another opportunity, another at bat. Right. And I think too, it was, you know, if they're talking, if one partner's owning it, you know, a kid can opt out. And if everyone's writing, it's much harder. I'm going to immediately notice that someone's not writing. And now I have evidence that I can look over their shoulder and see, you know, and I realized I, I kind of chose engagement over rigorous academic expectations for that lesson. And you said ratio too. Yeah. Right. When they're writing, the ratio goes through the roof because there's so many kids thinking at the same time. Right. And right. It, you know, then what do you do? Yeah, you're you're circ- you're circulating, mm-hmm. and you're looking at the exemplar, and you're saying, "Hey, I love that you had the key word here. I yeah. love that it's in the writing." There's so many tips you can do after that, like, you know, have a kid call out, you know, what they wrote down. Yeah, you can do a show call with some writing. Yep, you can have them do a turn and talk, and then add something to their writing. Yep, you can go back to it later and be like, you know. What did you learn at the end of the lesson based on what you wrote? Mm-hmm. The writing, actually, writing is sort of a hack. If you have more writing in your in your observation, yeah, yeah, you can pull a show call. You can turn and talk to a neighbor. You can show what they have. Mm-hmm. You can circle technical vocabulary. You can I, reflect yeah. on it at the end. I would opt for your observation lesson to actually go slightly under time so that you can really pace yourself and go deep into each piece. And then if you end up with extra time, because chances are you're going to fill the time, but if you do end up with extra time and you have writing at some point in your lesson, go back to that, add vocab, add everything you just said. But I think that's another thing too. We don't want the observation to be rushed. No. You may be thinking, you don't want the observation to go off course too, because sometimes kids will go off on a great tangent during a lesson and you don't really (laughs) notice it because you can bring them back. But when you're being observed and you're teaching and some kids are asking good questions, you're trying to balance, do I let this tangent continue because they're really engaged mm-hmm. or do I feel the pressure to bring them back to the objective? Yeah. I say let the tangent continue too because if you have like this abrupt stop too, yeah. the coach might give you the feedback and said, I don't know, that was a pretty good thread to pull on. Could you have brought that back in a minute or two? Yep. But instead, you know, you felt the pressure and you just kind of swerved right back to the objective. Right. And again, like regardless of the the rubric, that's going to feel clunky, you know? And so it's like, it's this balance between hitting some things on the rubric and just the general feel of the room and of the lesson. Because the first thing the coach is going to notice is the management. Mm-hmm. What are the expectations for behavior? And then they're going to notice what are the expectations for academics. Right. And they don't want to have to coach someone on, you know, foundational things like, hey, are all your friends are all the kids sitting with their friends and are they talking while you're talking right. and are they delayed getting started yep. because then you're having to coach the person on, you know, foundational practices. Yeah. It might be early in their career and that's what they need. Sure. But if you want to ace your observation, you want to show your coach that you have those things down exactly. and you don't need help with that. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. And I think too, if you are wanting to, try something a little bit new. Maybe you know when your observation is coming up or whatever. Just don't do it the first time in that observation. Like let's say you want to try whole brain teaching. Try to start it a couple weeks beforehand so that it's a routine. I feel like that's maybe that's what I'm getting at is that another big piece of observations is the smoothness of the room, the routines and sort of the the independent nature of certain pieces of the class because that is 
prove of how much work you've put in behind the scenes. You know, so you just want that entry routine, everything to just be really, really smooth. I would say one of the hacks, just like writing is something that you should improve, you Mm -hmm. should include in your observation, but you should definitely greet the kids at the door or greet the kids at the threshold. 100%. And then have your do now up on the board. Mm -hmm. Because then when they're coming in, you can just give them a little nudge and be like, hey, open up your notebook or make sure you get your pencil out or just nice to see you. If you stand at the doorway on the way in and you set the tone for the class, and as the kids walk in, they see that your coach or your principal's there, mm-hmm. they'll know you're on today. Like, yeah. this is this is for real. And then you're narrating, yep. you know, as you're standing in the doorway, you're narrating what you're seeing in the room. Oh, thank you, Johnny, for having your pencil out. Oh, I see Amelia's already started typing, whatever, you know. Yep. And then, yeah, you go right in and you try not to talk during the do now, you know, after you narrate the positive. Yes. Circulate, just some quiet check-ins. Yep. But, right, if it's supposed to be a quiet warm-up time, you don't want to talk right. Sometimes the entire we, time. Sorry. Yeah. No, we tell them to be quiet and then we talk <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> we feel like we have to fill the space. And timers. Start your timers. Yes. If I see timers during an observation, I'll know that you've got it. Mm-hmm. But the kids will also notice too, like, wait, we only have three minutes for this. We have four minutes for that. Right. Put the timers in a week or two beforehand if it's not built into your practice. Same with the do now, right? You can't you can't just have the kids come in every day willy-nilly however they want. And then on your observation to have a do now, they're going to be like, what's this? Yeah, you know? what's this? <laughs> it's going to be kind of obvious. So if, if you want to, yeah, try anything new, just do it at least a week beforehand, I would say. Because the kids might sell you out a little bit and be like, oh, wow, like you said, like, oh, this is new today. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, miss, I see you're really on it right now. Yeah, or middle Mister, schoolers love could, this stuff. They love this stuff. <laughs> they love messing with you a little bit too. Yeah. And you don't want to throw them off their routine. Right. You don't want to have it come in where they have this incredibly engaging lesson where you're sharp with your pedagogy and you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you're back to your traditional self and it's quite a lot different. Right. You don't want to have, they don't want to have that whiplash effect in the lesson. Right. Right. Okay. So I kind of like this. We're starting at the beginning and thinking of things that we would do. Yeah. Greet the kids, have the do now, right? Be quiet. Have the timer going, circulate. Yes. Uh, If you're circulating with the exemplar too, and you're giving feedback like, oh, I love that you have this, but let's change that. Yep. And then I would probably go over the objective and the agenda quickly, just so that kids know what we're doing for the day. And then regardless of, you know, if you have a five-step or inquiry-based or whatever, just make sure that in that lesson, you're doing all your your solids, right? You're using waste, wait time. You are using sentence starters if a kid gets stuck. You're calling on volunteers and non-volunteers. You're trying to get as many kids as you can. Yep. What, just watch ratio, really. Make sure that kids are thinking and writing as much as possible. So often, if we have directions, we might read the directions to save time or to make sure it's crystal clear, mm-hmm. but have a kid read it and ask for volunteers. Mm-hmm. And then ask that volunteer to pick a volunteer to try and bring in as many kids as you can. Yep. Yeah. The more that the kids can read, that's going to impress a coach. That would impress me. That's just good teaching too, right? Like any time that a kid could say something instead of us... We should do that. (laughs) And I would say, like the primacy recency effect, we tend to remember the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. Try and nail the first five minutes of class and get that down. Like you said, great point. Narrating the positive in the beginning, circulating, checking for understanding, having kids read whatever they can. Mm -hmm. The coach is going to remember that the class started really, really well. Even if you go off on a tangent in the middle of class, or it seems like not as many kids are mastering the objective, 
you can always go back to how well it started and then try and make sure it ends well, like you said, with the reflection. Yeah, don't rush the end. I know that's so hard to do, but I think it just looks really good and it is really good. It feels good to have time at the end, you know, to maybe debrief the mastery check or go back to an earlier part of the lesson, you know, if you want to kind of loop back and make a deeper connection, but give, give times to give time for kids to pack up and write their homework. It just feels good when you're not rushed. And that is hard to do. <laughs> right. I wouldn't worry about the pacing. Obviously you want to pace it well, mm -hmm. but if you have to adjust the pacing, your coach isn't going to be too upset if you if you leave a little bit in the lesson that you have to go into next time. For sure. Or if you finish a little bit quickly, because they'll understand, hey, maybe you were nervous and so you spoke a little bit quick. Mm -hmm. But I think teachers, we can get stressed out that our pacing was wrong and like we needed to pace it right. Yeah. I don't care about that as much as a coach as a coach as I do, you know, how did the lesson feel and are you doing your basics? like your checks for understanding, right? 100%. I would much rather see one of my teachers cut or shrink something from the middle of the lesson as they're realizing it's going over and preserve time for the mastery check. Because when we're talking about it and I ask them why they made that choice and they talk about their pacing, I'm going to say, but you wrapped up the learning and that's the right thing to do. Right. Right? You put a nice, neat little bow on the end of that lesson so that hopefully they're solidifying something and you know what you need to go back to and spiral in or, or incorporate somehow else. But I would much rather see a lesson with bookends than stretch it out and say, oh, well, we're going to finish it tomorrow. Yeah, you got to close the learning out. Yeah. Especially if you do an exit ticket or a mastery check and you're giving the kids an opportunity to get feedback on mm -hmm. how well they did. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, you reflect on... So why did you think that you did so well? Why did you think your answer was right? Yeah. That promoting that metacognition, that's going to be impressive too. And then, yeah, if you have a few more minutes, do shout outs. Exactly. Like, does anyone have a shout out for so-and-so? Like I have a shout out for you all. Yeah. Like I think that you can tell that today is a day where uh, I'm being observed and I'm trying to do my best. And I really appreciate you all for doing that. Yeah. Oh, man. You could even ask the kids, what are some things that you think will make class better next time. Yes. Not necessarily asking what are things that I could do better because maybe they'll point out a really good <laughs> no, thing. No, don't that do that. That's a bad idea. Right. Don't but ask like, them that. <laughs> if, since it's a community, what can we do better as a group? I, I've done that and I love it where you do glows and grows, right? Glows and grows. Glows and grows. What did we do awesome today? What could we work on a little bit the next day? And it's kind of amazing because you think they don't know what they're doing wrong because they keep doing it. <laughs> But they just but they it know right. it at the yeah. end. They're like, yeah, we were really talkative. We're like, we didn't get enough done. <laughs> so they're quite reflective. Doesn't mean they're going to change it in the moment, but you can always kind of move the needle. And then in the next class, you can bring it back. Okay, yesterday we said we were going to do this, that, and the other thing. Let's work on that. All right. So I feel pretty good. What you got? You got anything else? Yeah. So I was thinking, you know how we said that the kids can kind of smell when we're doing something different. They just know. Yeah, for sure. I think that coaches can tell that too. I could tell. And so I think that's just another mindset of like, be authentic, be you. If you have a certain style that you know works for you and your kids, don't try to be like, you know, totally different what you think your coach is looking for. Or if you have like a funny I don't know, brain break or something. I don't know. Something that's unique to your room. 
don't feel like you shouldn't do it on observation days. You really should be you and just do it really well. You want the class to be as regular as it normally is, Mm -hmm. but you just want to show that you have those foundational skills down. Yeah. It's like the best version of a regular lesson. Right. It's not as much stress as an interview sample teach where you like every single thing that you do is basically being analyzed. Right. You know, where your pacing kind of is analyzed there and the engagement of the kids and, you know, it's a one shot lesson to earn the job. So it's got to be amazing. Yeah. Those are so stressful. Yeah. This is where, Hey, you're with these kids every day or every other day. Yep. What's it like in here? And just how good are you when you're put on the spot? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of coaches miss the classroom. And so, especially for ones that don't get into rooms on a super regular basis, they like being in the observations. They like being back in a room and watching you, you know, and, so I don't know. That's just another thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I was just making think if I was going to summarize this, yeah. it's do the little things right, and then it's based on how it feels for the kids. I completely agree. It's yeah. not a big overhaul. Do all the little foundational things as well as you can. And one thing I remember coaches doing is they would go up to kids and ask them, okay, so can you reteach this back to me? Because yep. then that proves how well the kids truly understand it. Yeah. Or to go ask the kids, What are you working on? Mm -hmm. Or why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And that's the coach checking in on the kids to see, you know, is it always like this? Are you really understanding the material? Does this just look flashy, but you're not getting it? Or you don't have the opportunity to learn? That's where the proof is. Like it can look, you know, as shiny as we want, but if the kids aren't learning, there's no point. Yeah. Just do the little things well. And coaches are there to help. They're not trying to stress you out. And they're not trying to get you in trouble or anything. Right. They're trying to help. Yeah. They're trying to show you your blind spots or little weaknesses. And if a coach tries to coach you on seven or eight different things that you need to be doing, Mm. that's not really feasible. Just try and find one to two skills that you can master in the next week or the next two weeks. And then add on to that. Yeah. I love that. Cause I think it can, I mean, it's our natural tendency to remember the bad things, right? You can have 25 good comments on your observation data feedback. And if there's one piece of critical feedback, that's the one we're going to remember. So also whenever you do get your feedback, just try, try, try to find the good things first and don't find them just to be like, okay, I found it. Like really think about it. This is something you're excellent at and appreciate that and notice it. And then pick one or two things, like one or two things that you want to work on. And that's great. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, We can't do it all. Right. I think there's pressure earlier in your career to be whatever the quote master teacher is Mm -hmm. by your third or your fourth year. (laughs) And so, yeah, (laughs) you try and, you know, burn yourself out trying to get to that. Yeah. And then as you get a little bit older, you realize like, I know all the things that I'm really good at in the classroom. And I know the things that I should be doing that I'm just, you know, not really doing Mm because it's not the vibe of the room or it just doesn't seem to work as well as I once thought it did. Yeah. So I don't, I don't spend as much time doing that. Yes. Be comfortable and confident in the things that you are good at, knowing that everybody has one or two things that they can do to improve. Yep. Teaching something that it's a craft. You never really master it. You just get a little bit better at all the little things. And you might be good at one thing one day, and then the next day I'd be like, ooh, I was 
Right. Drop the ball on that one. Yeah, you might have great checks for understanding. Yeah. But you need a little bit of help with management. And who doesn't need help with management sometimes? Right. right. Or one day you use wait time and the next day you forget. You know, I mean, it happens. You made me think, though, I feel like I became a good teacher when I became a confident teacher of just knowing what works for me, what I'll allow, what I won't everything kind of clicked into place there when I, I felt really confident as my with my abilities and in, in my skin as a teacher. Oh, I like that because it's almost if a coach offers you some feedback, you can take it or leave it and you can say, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I could try that or I have done that and I like it. And you don't have to say anything to your coach about it. But totally. when, you have that, when you're confident as the teacher, you're like, actually, yeah, maybe they were right. Like I didn't do that today. Right. But I'll do it next time. But I still know I'm good. Exactly. Or, oh, I actually tried that last week. It didn't work out. Right? Because that's the other thing is the coach has, it's such a tiny snippet into your room. I mean, it's such a small window. And so they might offer things or ask questions to you where you're like, what? Like that would never work in here because blah, blah, blah. And you might be right. They just don't know that. They don't have the full picture. They're just going off of what they saw, you know, and they don't see every day. Yeah. Gosh, I'm back to when you made, you know, when you made the comment about if you have a four point rubric, you can ask your coach, is it possible to get a four? Yeah. Why isn't it a three point rubric? Because let's say it's out of a four point rubric and yeah. you get a 2.8. You mm-hmm. would think that you just got crushed. Like you didn't do oh, well yeah. at all. But if the top thing that they're going to give you a threes and you have mostly threes and then a couple twos, it might average out to a 2.8. Right. Because there are no fours on there. Exactly. So it may as well be a three-point rubric. Yeah, it may as well be a three-point rubric. I yeah. remember we had a friend who wrote down all of the thinking behind their lesson so that when the coach came at them and said, how come you didn't do a turn and talk here? How come you didn't do a Kagan strategy here? He'd mm-hmm. written down in his journal, like, I bet if they ask me this, you know, oh this is gosh. what my answer will be. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I mean, every school is different. Every coach is different, of course, you know, and hopefully you have a supportive and growth mindset style coach and school. Um, yeah, it's scary. It can be, it can be really nerve wracking. Yeah. And it can not necessarily be fun if you've been a lot of coaches or teachers who left the classroom to right. pursue that career. And you might be a teacher who stayed in for a while mm-hmm. and now you have this new person coming in you know, who's coaching you and you've been teaching for a lot longer than they have. Mm-hmm. Just, again, know that they're trying to help, but have that confidence to say, all right, I hear your feedback. I get what you're saying. I'm going to keep doing the things that I'm going to do because I have evidence that they work. Right. But I'm not you know, professionally disagreeing with you or anything. Right. We don't yeah. want to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. It's if you know that there's a, a good reason behind the choice that you're making. Right. Yeah. In teaching, there's lots of right ways to do the right thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like that. And there's... Yeah. So it's all just suggestions, right? I mean, unless there's like a huge red flag with management, it's suggestions and it's ideas and try it out, see how it feels. And, uh, you know, what's best, you know, there's no recipe, but yeah, coach might suggest, Hey, if you stand at the threshold and you control it on the way in, that is a little bit better than standing up in the front and then having the kids sit down. Right. Just because you can get a small win or some positive praise by doing Absolutely. that. I'd say always try it. Give it a shot for a couple of days and see if you notice a difference. All right. Okay. I'm good. You got anything else now? That's, that's all. 
it's all for now. Observation season. We good hope luck, you guys everybody. go crush it. Yes. You know, um, sending good vibes to anyone who's got an observation coming up. You got this. Yeah, you got this. And hey, we'll see you next time on Morning Duty. Have a good day. We'll see you.